Romans chapter 12, if you would, take your Bible and join me there. Romans chapter number 12. We continue our study, of course, in the book of Romans, and we continue to understand that Paul is moving us from our belief, which he covered in profound fashion in the first 11 chapters of the book, And now from chapter 12, really through the conclusion of the book, he takes the doctrine that he's been preaching and teaching, and he says, this is how you put it into practice. This is what it looks like. Today, in just a few moments, we will be in Romans chapter 12, and we'll start in verse number six. This last week, I had a a brief visit to the doctor, had a doctor's appointment, and I'm finding that the older I am getting, the more that is becoming a common occurrence. And so I went to visit the doctor. I had been having some, some uh, not severe, but I'd been having some pain in my wrist. So I went to see the doctor, and he started to test and do all these things to just give some additional insights into what was taking place in my wrist on my left hand. And uh, I'm talking with the doctor, and he said, well, what we're going to do is we're going to go do an ultrasound of your wrist. So we went into another room, and, um, and he began to do an ultrasound of my wrist, and he's looking at my wrist, and, and then he said this, because he's looking at all these details in my wrist. And he said, when I was in medical school, studying the human body is one of the things that actually solidified my faith. He said, I I couldn't believe that all of the intricacies of the human body were simply the product of blind chance. And then I simply said, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And then he said this. He said, every member of the human body operates independently while connecting with one another to create a symphony. And as soon as he said that, I said, okay, don't say, don't talk for a minute. I said, I have to write that down, okay? <laughs> and so I took out my phone and he started I'm like, no, uh, 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 no, 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 no. So I'm, I'm writing this down and then he finished uh, the examination. I, I literally thought that is such a powerful illustration of what the Apostle Paul uses in the passage that I knew I would be preaching today. Today, we might alter his statement just slightly, and we might say every member of the church operates independently while connecting with one another to create a symphony. This is how God has created the church as a body, interconnected, each of us working individually while doing so interconnected with every other part of the body and creating, again, this beautiful symphony. Now, since God has created us to have a special place within his body, the church, we must learn to function as the part he has created us individually to be. The title of our message today is Understanding My Place in the Body. Your Bibles are open right now to Romans chapter 12. 
Would you follow along as I read, beginning in verse number 6? Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, or he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. So today, how do we understand our place within the body? How is it that I'm going to start to understand what's it supposed to look like with me, one of many, as a functioning part of this assembly? There are no unnecessary parts in the body of Jesus Christ. At times, doctors at different points in our past, there were some 50 plus parts of the human body that doctors described as vestigial. They're unimportant. They, they don't serve any real purpose. And of course, as, as science continues to catch up with the Word of God, they have begun to understand that there are no unnecessary parts of the human body. They were all created with purpose, with intention, and so is the body of Christ that assembles as the church. No unnecessary parts. How then am I supposed to understand my part, my one of many? Well, first of all, we have to understand your dependence. Understand your dependence. Like, okay, I am a part of something that I depend on. Do you know, if you don't understand your dependence on the local body, you will begin to separate yourself for whatever reason, sometimes convenient and sometimes not, as a part that's not so important to the local assembly. How do we understand our dependence upon this body? Romans 12, 5 says this. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Throughout his word, God uses illustrations that are readily understood. In other words, they're the kind of things that we don't have to stand back and process and say, what does he really mean by this? He gives us illustrations that we can readily grasp. They're part of our everyday life. And one of those ready illustrations that he uses, we've already referenced, and that is our body. We need only just think about our hand moving or our eyes looking, our ears hearing, and understand that our bodies truly are fearfully and wonderfully made. Just before writing Romans, Paul uses this illustration not only here, but he uses it elsewhere. He said to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now ye are the body of Christ. He's talking to the church and members in particular, individually. Yes, you are the church at Corinth, but you're comprised of those individual specific members. He says this later when he's talking to the church at Ephesus. He says, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, 
the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And of course, Christ is our head, gives life, purpose, direction to every part of the body. Notice how Paul said it when he's writing to the church at Colossae. He's talking about Christ who is the head from which all the body by joints and bands have nourishment ministered and knit together increaseth with the increase of God. The joints and bands. Really what he's talking about here is all the connecting parts, the ligaments that hold the body together. Then he uses, he uses the expression knit together. This is the idea of the interconnectedness of the body. He's saying, okay, you're all individual members, but you are also, while individual, you are wonderfully fashioned, knit together as one body. Have you ever watched one of those, um, those cooking shows where the contestants are given a limited number of ingredients and they have to come up with something that puts all those unique ingredients together and form something that, that is presented as a cohesive whole. And then at times, the, the clock gets away from the participant and they don't get everything on the plate. And of course, they're, they're judged accordingly because, oh, I'm so sorry, I wasn't able to get this on the plate. Well, that plate demands every part, every one of those ingredients to come together to form the whole. I, I know, we get it sometimes like, well, well, this is not such a visible part of the body, but not an unimportant part. It's one of those ingredients that's supposed to be included that forms the cohesive whole. The church is the interconnected body that has many individual parts, all of which are necessary to do the work of the body. Every part of the church is an essential ingredient. The individual members of the church are functioning as truly independent members while also understanding their necessary dependence on every other part of the body. And when that happens, it is truly amazing. Now, I told you that I went to see the doctor and they did this ultrasound on my wrist. So they're doing this ultrasound, and I'll, I'll show you over here since it's, it's not got a watch band on it, but they're doing this ultrasound on this part of my wrist. And as they do, he's showing me the nerve that runs up the center part of my wrist. And he details it. And then he shows me all the different tendons that are connected here. The nerve, a unique part. In fact, you could separate that. It is its own part. You could remove it, although it serves no real purpose outside of its connection to the body. And it does have a unique part. And it fulfills that role as an unseen and yet vitally important member of the whole. It is truly amazing when the body functions together the way God intended it to function. Whether we're speaking about our human body or we're speaking about the body of Jesus Christ, the church. And of course, the opposite is true when, when something's wrong in the body. When the individual members don't function as a part of the whole, it does become problematic. 
Again, the nerve in my wrist, independent from every other part of the body, but it serves no purpose apart from being connected to the rest of the body. And so the independent members of the church become the interconnected body of Christ, dependent on every other part of the body. Do you understand the weight of that statement? Well, I just, I just go to church. Did you know just going to church is not always so much about what I receive at church, but about what even my presence provides when I come and assemble with the body. My shared worship, my shared fellowship, my shared at times exhortation, or my shared at times correction, all part of that which takes place just with my attendance in the assembled body of Christ. And before we move on from the dependent aspect of our body, our place in the body, allow me to ask this question. Have you connected with a local body? That is, have you connected with a local church? Are you a member in particular of a local body of believers? And if not, then the follow-up question is why not? Now, as I speak about this, I am speaking about that which we might refer to as becoming an actual church member, a member in particular of a local body of believers. Every once in a while, Someone may ask me a question that sounds a little bit like this. They might say, so who do you belong to? And if Julie is nearby, my standard answer would be, I belong to her. Belonging for us is important. If you're not yet married, someone might ask you, are you attached to anyone? Or are you seeing anyone? For a lot of you today, you simply say, uh, someone might ask you, are you talking to anyone? I still find that phrase rather humorous because, like, we're talking right now, but that's not really what talking means to be talking to someone. That's a whole nother sermon, but, but the idea of, are you connected to someone? It's a legitimate question. When it comes to church, are you connected to one? If someone asks you, where is your church, and you told them where, and then they said, so you're a member, right? If your answer is no, and they said, oh, why not? What is your answer? Again, I know that it's like, oh, pastor, can't I be a, a part of a church without being an official member? And the answer is yes. But there is something about acknowledging that place within the body and taking a step that does have something to do with our humbling ourselves to become a part of a body. And you say, well, I'm still looking for the right fit for a church. I do know that there are no perfect places, but there is a perfect plan. The church is the plan of God. It's not ours. It's just oftentimes imperfectly practiced. You say, well, why isn't it practiced more perfectly? Because there's imperfect people just like me, and might I add, just like you. 
But God's plan is perfect. His plan for that church, for that local assembling of believers. I read recently of a pastor who was approached by a person who presented themselves as a, a person doing missions work. And he was, he was seeking to have funds from the pastor and the church to do the work that he was called to do. So he's seeking funds to support the work, and the pastor asked him the natural question. He said, okay, so, so to what church do you belong? And the person said, I'm part of the universal invisible church. And the pastor said, that's fine. He said, but where do you go to church? And he said, again, a little bothered now, he said, I told you, I'm part of the invisible church. And the pastor said, well, I do feel led to support you. Here's some invisible money for the work of the invisible church. Do you know, whenever we get this idea of, well, I'm just part of the church, that's fine. There is such a thing as the universal, invisible church. But in Scripture, that universal body is always advanced through the local assemblies. In fact, in Scripture, you'd be hard-pressed to find an address to the universal invisible church because it's always expressed through the church at Thessalonica, the church at Corinth, the church at Ephesus, the church at Philippi, the church at Antioch, and so on. What is the point that I'm trying to make? I'm trying to make the point that we are, as members of the church, dependent on one another. And it serves us well to say, God, this is the local assembly through which I am interconnected, dependent on you, Jesus, as our head, and one another to advance the work you've given us to do. Well, how is it then that we understand our place in the body well, first of all, understand your dependence, and then let's go beyond that. Also, understand your diversity. Understand your diversity. Romans chapter 12, verse number 6 says this. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. And then he continues to go on. What Paul begins to do is to explain the diversity within the church which is the body of Christ. And let's see how he explains it elsewhere. In fact, in the, the, the book of Corinthians to the church at Corinth, he goes into great detail and he uses again the body illustration to further help us understand our place in the body. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse number 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For... By one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Now, it seems to be clear enough, but notice how he goes on and he makes this even more obvious. It's almost humorous if you pause to think about what Paul's saying. He continues on in this same passage, beginning in verse number 15. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, 
Now, that's rather humorous if you pause to think about it. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? Or if the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? And now hath God set the members, listen, every one of them in the body as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? What he's saying is the body is not only one, it is the assembly of diverse members all coming together, interdependent, interconnected to form one body. Now, I know that today the word diversity can make us uncomfortable, and rightly so. We often hear about diversity, equity, and inclusion. When rightly used, I agree with each of those words. But taken in the context of today's broken culture, they represent a worldview that has radically departed from the truths presented in Scripture. We must remember that a body is incredibly diverse. But every member of the body must function within its created purpose. Can I say that again? I, I know that there is one body, we're dependent, I also know that it's the product of many members, which is quite diverse, but every member of the body must function within its created purpose. It doesn't get to call itself something other than what it is, whether those conclusions be right or wrong. Then, under the flag of diversity, equity, and inclusion, they demand affirmation of their legitimacy, whether they are biblically legitimate or not. Diversity is often used as a means to, to literally fragment the human race into godlessly defined subcultures that are fighting to defend their interest against all others. Let's back up a little bit now and let's understand what does Jesus help us understand about diversity and even what we might call inclusion. In Matthew 28, verse number 19, we, from whence we get the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, 19, he said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Nations. Okay, the word nations is ethnos. Ethnos, that's the word that's used there. Go and teach all ethnos. It's the word we get ethnicities from. Go and teach every ethnicity there's a diverse number of, of ethnicities, now all part of the human race, but now reflected with different cultures, diverse languages, many different people groups, all of them part of humanity created to reflect the image of their creator, Almighty God. In similar fashion, it's the point that Paul is making to the church. He's saying, okay, there is diversity, we get it, but there's also to be a unity even within that diversity. The church at Antioch is the first church where you would have had Jews and Gentiles worshiping together. Now, to us today, that's no big deal. We, we get it. Today, there's such an assembly of believers in this building right now, but not in their day. For a Jew to find it offensive to just sit down and have a meal with a Gentile? 
For a Gentile to look at the Jews with such disdain because the Jews are those that are calling me, the Gentile, some dog that's not worthy of their glance. For them to come together in worship, it's really revolutionary. How does that happen? It happens within the body of Jesus Christ. Christ as the head and then this incredibly diverse assembly of saints. Think about who's mentioned when we're talking about this church in Antioch. Think about the names that are mentioned and what do these names represent? Acts chapter 13, verse number one, listen to the names. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. Well, who do these people represent? You know, you start to dig into who these people are. First of all, Barnabas. Barnabas is a wealthy Cyprus-born Jewish Levite. Okay, so we have him. He represents a group in that church. Uh, Simeon called Niger. This is a black African proselyte to Judaism. Now part of the church at Antioch. Uh, Lucius of Cyrene, probably a Greco-Roman from North Africa. Manian, who'd been brought up with Herod. The Tetrarch, this is a Hellenized Jew. He's a, 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 a Jew that now has been influenced by the Greek culture. He's an aristocrat whose name is the Greek form of his former Hebrew name. And then Saul. Saul, a Tarsus-born Jew raised in Jerusalem, otherwise known by his Greco-Roman name, Paul. You know, diversity oftentimes does make us uncomfortable. We like worshiping in ways and with a culture that we become very familiar with. It's the way it's always been. Let me tell you the way I grew up worshiping God. It makes us feel comfortable because we're familiar with it. We know it. Do you know there was some necessary uncomfortableness in the diversity that took place in the early church? Like I'm starting to look at people who I am standing next to receiving the word from. And as I stand next to them and sing praise to God and hear instruction from the word of God and then go out and live the word of God. Wow, there is something that makes us a little bit uncomfortable. And I think many times in our own culture, as it applies to our own circumstances, our own familiarity, Sometimes God in his goodness shakes that up just a little bit with those things that make us uncomfortable. Do you know if church is nothing more than the place that makes me most comfortable, I wonder if we're truly prepared to let Jesus be the head and us the body as opposed to us speaking to the head, demanding that which makes us most comfortable. Well, what is it that I have to understand to know my place in the body? Well, I have to understand my dependence. I have to understand my diversity, the diversity in the body of Jesus Christ. Let me use this before we move on because this point is so vitally important to, to what we're doing. I, I uh, hijacked uh, something from my garage um, yesterday and... Um, this is, uh, you know, I think most of us understand what this is. It's just a bicycle tire. And as I'm preparing for this message and I'm thinking about the interconnectedness, I'm thinking about the spokes 
that connect this to its hub. And every one of those spokes is important. Of course, you can remove one and it'll still function, but it is functioning literally in a weakened state. I also think about the diversity of this because here you have a spoke that's way over here on this side and you know it comes together with another spoke that's way over here on this side. Now think about that literally. Think about how far these two are apart when they start on the outside. But if this is the church and we are members in particular, there may be points of beginning of origination that are far away from a person who originates way over here. But notice where they come together. And if Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of our worship, literally, if Jesus Christ is the hub, we can find no closer point of fellowship than when we connect through the person of Jesus Christ. And it might be true, well, I am so different from this person. True. But who is our connecting point? That is our hub, the centerpiece of our worship. That is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Listen, the church is is nothing more than a dependent assembly. Because they are, aren't they? They're dependent one on another. And they're interconnected. The church is nothing more than this dependent assembly. This group that knows, I have to have you to do that which I am supposed to do. And I am diverse. I'm not the same as you. I fill a different part. I fill a different role. But vitally important what I'm doing, just as is vitally important the work that you are doing. We understand our dependence. We understand our diversity. We also have to understand discernment. Understand discernment. Again, verse number four in Romans 12. He said, for as we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office. Okay, he says, all right, now you get it, right? Many members in one body and all members have not the same office. There's some discernment that starts to happen. We're not all filling the same role. So I have to start to discern what's my part in the body. What, God, have you fitted me to do within this assembly of believers? The word office that's used here, all have not the same office. We don't all have the same function. We don't all have the same work. We don't all have the same business. We all have a spiritual gift and we're all part of the body, but not the same part. So Paul is saying you must discern what part of the body you belong to. Now, we do believe that every member of the body has a function or a purpose within the body. And the Holy Spirit is the one who distributes the gifts to every person as he chooses. When speaking of the gifts, Paul said it this way. uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 11. But all these work at that one and selfsame spirit, dividing, that means distributing, to every man severally as he will. The Holy Spirit says, I'm going to give you this gift. I'm going to give you these gifts just as he desires. So how do we discern? How do we determine which gifts are ours? I'm going to hit this very quickly. And so this is is a cursory glance at this, but I think at least a helpful insight. And how do I determine what am I supposed to do within the body? Well, first of all, seek. Seek. We sang it this morning, this idea of seeking first the kingdom of God. 
Seek God in prayer. Don't you think that's a prayer that God wants to answer? God, what part do you have for me in the body? Well, that's a prayer he wants you to ask, a prayer he wants, you to, he wants to answer. Seek the insights of Scripture. Okay, as I study Scripture, as I see it, what is it directing me to do? And then seek the counsel of others. Hey, um, um, do you think I'd be a good fit to serve in? Uh, do you think this might be an opportunity for me to do? So seek and then serve. Serve. If you've already given yourself to God as a living sacrifice and are being transformed by the word rather than conformed to the world, then you're going to naturally begin to find places to, I don't know, experiment, to just try. Hey, I'm going to serve here for a while. Do you know some people have found their lifelong gifting because they just volunteered to serve? We have mentioned for the last few services a meeting that's actually going to happen this afternoon. It's a major area of ministry at Campus Church. It has to do with our children, whether they be young children, um, um, very young, um, uh, elementary, junior high, or high school. Do you know there are people who serve throughout the course of their week in so many different varied aspects, but they find that when they serve with children, the Lord has just expanded something in their heart and they find different giftings that they have opportunities then to use. There could be several different areas where the Lord may confirm his gifting for you. It might be teaching, as we just mentioned, a children's Sunday school or an adult Bible study group. It might be singing in the choir. It may be serving at a local pregnancy resource center. It might be mowing your neighbor's yard. It could be taking a meal to a person in need. It might be writing a check to a ministry or providing for someone's special need. It could be carrying the gospel to Honduras or to Haiti, Peru or Pakistan, to Siberia or simply across the street. It could be through a myriad of different opportunities, some of which may have yet to be discovered. But they become the outlet for the practice of your spiritual gifting. This leads us to the last thing, and and we're not going to detail these gifts. It's not an extensive list that Paul mentions either. But understand doing. Understand doing. I know we're dependent one on another. I get the diversity within the body. I know there has to be discernment. What part do you have for me to play? But please, church, don't miss this. God has something for you to do. It may not be for everyone on Sunday that they are serving the body. There are so many that serve the church by involving themselves in the work of this local church on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and they are advancing the work that God has given the church to do. In the scriptures, God mentions several different gifts. Again, in this list here, he talks about prophecy, ministry, exhortation, giving, ruling, mercy. All of these important giftings that God has blessed the church with. If, if we could go to just look at these highlights, the gift of prophecy What is this? Well, again, we don't have time to unpack this word, but it has actually morphed, I believe, or refined from what we might call foretelling 
before the scriptures were complete to now taking the completed word of God and do forthtelling, preaching and teaching the word of God. The gift of ministry, it's the Greek word diakonia. It's the word that we get deacon from. It's let me serve and find ways to meet needs that are something that I can do. Exhortation. This is like the person who comes alongside. It's the same word that's oftentimes used of the Holy Spirit. The one who stands next to you and says, come on, we can do this. Do you know how many people simply need another person to come alongside and say, let me walk with you. Sometimes today we call that mentoring. The Bible helps us understand it's this gift of exhortation. The gift of giving Let me say, first of all, that God expects all of us to give obediently, regularly, faithfully, even generously. But God often gives some a special ability to discern the needs of others, and then they sacrificially give. The gift of ruling. There are some who've been given the special gift of leadership. They oversee the works of God. The word used for rule here means to set or place over. It also means to give aid or care, give attention to. And of course, that's what rulers do. Rulers in ways that are oftentimes hard for others to understand. Those who we watch rule, they have a care for. Do you remember when the Bible talks about the Apostle Paul? He said, beside all of this that I'm doing, the care of all the churches Paul does have the gift of ruling, and along with that comes a heavy load of care. Pray for those that you know are involved in the work having the gift of ruling. And then the last one he mentions is the gift of mercy. This person seems to have an extraordinary ability to sense the needs of the hurting. They know what to say, when to say it, and how to say what need be said. Some of you may be thinking, I know some people who have these gifts, even several of them, but not me. I'm not talented enough. I am not gifted enough. I know me too well to think that God could use a person like me. All you have to do is turn the pages of Scripture and see that God uses people exactly like you. He uses a guy like Noah who had been drunken, Abraham who was too old, Jacob who's a deceiver, Moses who was a murderer, Gideon was afraid, Rahab was a harlot, David an adulterer, Elijah wanted to die, Jonah runs away from God, Peter denies Jesus, the Samaritan woman was divorced multiple times, Zacchaeus was too small, Paul was too religious, Timothy had health problems. Lazarus was dead. (laughs) The truth of the matter is this. God uses people. He uses people just like you, people just like me. So how do we find our place in the body? Be dependent. Understand diversity. No, I must be discerning. And then start doing, advancing the work he's given us to do.